Well, good morning, New Life. <clears throat> it's uh, great to be back with you guys. And uh, yeah, my name is Young, as uh, Josh just said, uh, pastor here at New Life. Um, and it is really good to be back. Uh, we, we did miss you guys while we were uh, overseas. I don't know if uh, some of you guys maybe didn't even notice that we were gone, uh, but we missed worshiping with you in the same place. Uh, we tried to tune in when we could. Uh, but it's not quite the same as actually being in the same place together. I think that's a real privilege that we get to share in together. Um, and so we definitely don't want to take that for granted uh, ever. Now, we're only a month away from WinterCon as well, and so I think we've come back at a really good time. Uh, we're very, very close to getting over to WinterCon, and I'm sure it'll be uh, even colder once we get up there. Uh, and we're starting a new sermon series today, as you can see from the uh, graphic that's on the screen behind me. Heavenly heart, earthly sinners. In this sermon series, uh, we're going to be looking at Jesus' heart in heaven as he intercedes on our behalf. And I think oftentimes in the Christian life, uh, we can be quite inward focused. Uh, when we think about uh, our Christianity, we can become very consumed by our own sin and the effects that it has on us, um, that we focus more on it and our, on ourselves than we do on God. And so we start wondering if maybe God hates us or is disappointed in us. And you know, maybe we even wish that we had been alive uh, instead when Jesus walked this earth uh, along with his disciples. Because um, we've seen you know, throughout the scriptures that he so warmly received sinners into his arms in his earthly ministry. And so we think, surely if we could see him face to face, if we could actually look him in the eyes, then maybe it would be a little bit easier, maybe it will be a bit better than our experience of God now. But Jesus has told us in John 16 that it's better for us, uh, for him to go and for him to send the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit dwells inside of us Christians, never leaves us. And Jesus is there by our Heavenly Father's side as well. He intercedes on our behalf. He looks upon us, earthly sinners, with the same love, the same devotion, the same warmth that we hear about in his earthly life as well. And so he receives us warmly and willingly, pitying us in our sins rather than hating us or ignoring us. And so basically the new sermon series, it can be summed up as the same heart that met with sinners on earth now intercedes for us in heaven. The same heart that met with sinners on earth now intercedes for us in heaven. Now we might feel distant from God but Jesus remains ever near to us, lovingly concerned for us, and we have his undivided attention as well. I think uh, the songs that we sang this morning really exemplify these things as well. Um, if you were you know, feeling something moving in your heart while you were singing these things, uh, these songs, I think if we reflect upon the lyrics, if we actually let these uh, words minister to our hearts, we can see um, what this sermon series is really trying to accomplish. Now, before we get into the word, how about I pray for us? So if you'll join with me in prayer. Uh, Father, so often our Christian lives, they're characterized by ourselves, by our own personalities, our prayer lives are colored by our busyness, our unwillingness to get down on our knees, our unwillingness to hear your word, 
When we really get to the center of it all, God, we really make ourselves the center. But we don't want to do this today, God. We want this morning to change the way that we do Christianity, to change the way that we relate to you, to change the way that we receive your love. We want it to start with you. We want it to end with you. And so we turn to you this morning, God, and we ask that you would change our hearts for good. And we ask for the guidance, the wisdom, the love of the Holy Spirit to warm our hearts, indeed to change our hearts completely. For those of us here who have never experienced you, who have never known you, we ask, Lord, that you would give us new hearts, hearts of flesh instead of hearts of stone. For those of us who have grown cold, who have grown distant, we ask, Lord, that you would once again bridge that gap between us. We know, Lord, we read about you, we hear about you from our friends, our family. We know, Lord, that you're the one who goes first. You're the one who takes a thousand steps compared to our half steps. And you draw near to us so that we can draw near to you. So we ask this morning that you would do this again, that you would help us, Lord, to know you as we're known, to love you as we're loved. May we experience this love and may we be changed by it forever, God. So be with us, illuminate this word to our hearts and help us, Lord, to know you, to love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, There are more times than I'd like to admit where conversations uh, between me and my family or me and different people, they end in not so kind ways. They end in ways that I'm not very proud of, that I prefer not to uh, give examples about. And it ends with everyone in a bad mood. You know, not just, you know, when you end a conversation and I don't know what goes through our heads where we say the last word, maybe we're thinking, Uh, this will bring them back onto my side when we say that one last snide remark. This will help them to see what my real heart is. But oftentimes I end it and then I think, oh man, and this is quite morbid, but I think if I die tonight, am I okay with this being the last word that they hear from me? Am I okay with my wife, you know, my parents, whoever, is this the last thing that I'm going to be remembered for? Now, I'm going down to Woolies. Like, it's like two minutes away. I'm probably not going to get into a car accident at this time. But do I really want to risk being defined by this last conversation that I have with them? And we can look into Jesus' actions here on the final night before going to the cross, and we can see that he is defined by these things. You know, we can see that his heart towards earthly sinners, both then and now, We'll see how these things that he did on this last night define his love towards us even now, even today. This is the present day. You know, when we're reading John 13 and we read about how he washes his disciples' feet, we can see how it relates to us today. And not just his words, but his actions display just how deep his love is towards us. And they also represent a promise made to us as well. So let's take a look. Look with me at uh, verse 1. Now, before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. 
what we read here in this opening verse is that everything that we're about to see on Jesus' part, everything that we're about to read in this passage, these 11 verses, knowing that the cross is just up ahead, is love. It's Jesus' love. And not just love, but love to the end. Not only is he loving them here in this act of foot washing, but he's going to go and die for them. Because we read in John 15, verse 13 as well, no one has greater love than this, to lay down his life for his friends. Now we read this, I don't know about you, but sometimes I read this, we hear about Jesus laying down his life for his friends, and sometimes we can't quite grasp the enormity of this. We can't quite see ourselves included in this group because we think his friends, is he talking just about these 12 disciples that are walking this earth with him, that are following him, that are eating meals with him, that are getting their feet washed by him? Or am I among his friends? And so we dial up our own thoughts, our own attitudes, and our own actions, and we think that if God just knew the real us, Surely he wouldn't say this about us. He wouldn't die for us because I'm not his friend. We think that in order for God to love us, if only I could be this level of holiness, if only I could be this good, or whatever it might be that we say in our own heads, then maybe I could come near to him. Then maybe I'd be willing to get to know him. Have you ever had this thought? You know, have you ever heard someone else say this maybe? You might be sharing the gospel with your friend. You might just be inviting your family members to church. And you might have heard them say something like, hey, I'll come to church when I'm a little bit better. As though we can measure ourselves. We can get to a certain place and then finally we'll be acceptable in God's eyes. Now, we put a limiter on Jesus with these kinds of thoughts, these kinds of words. Like, in our minds, we begin to believe that God can't possibly cover these sins. And we make him into a finite person like us. We get so entangled in our thoughts that we might be disappointing God that we don't even bother to approach him in prayer anymore. Because we're afraid of what he might say. We're afraid of maybe an angry look on his face or something, and we stand far off from him like that older brother in the prodigal son story. We remain outside of the house wishing we had something when everything is already made available to us. Jesus' heart is with us in the world now. In this world now, today, in this present moment, it's not about wondering what it would have been like to walk alongside him as one of his disciples. It's about his heart now. This is what matters to us. His heart is on display here in Jesus' character that we start seeing in verse 2. Read with me verse 2. Now when it was time for supper, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. We can see just how great his love is for earthly sinners Because in washing the feet of his disciples, he doesn't exclude Judas Iscariot. He's going to wash his feet too. And we read that Judas Iscariot's heart is in line with the devil's heart. 
He participates in this satanic plot to kill the Son of God, and Jesus responds by washing his feet. What is it in our hearts and our minds that elevates our sins above Judas? What is it? What is it that makes us so prideful that we believe that we're so much worse than someone who participates in a satanic plot against the Son of God? That we can't come near to Him. The best time to pray is always going to be now. It's always going to be the present moment that we're living in. But often we refuse. We stand far off like it's some sort of honor that keeps us from approaching. Like we're honorable people and we don't want to sully God's name or something. Like we can't possibly go near to Jesus with our sins. Like he can't stand us. It's not true. These five weeks throughout the sermon series, the invitation is going to be laying here with you. Let me just make that clear. The invitation is going to be with you. The welcome sign is even brighter, is flashing before your eyes. God is saying, come near to me. Now, as Jesus is about to depart to the Father, he chooses to wash his disciples' feet. It's something that's reserved for the lowliest of servants. This is an artist's rendition of Joseph from the Old Testament being sold as a slave by his brothers. And one of the things that kind of catches your eye immediately is the way that Joseph is dressed or, or not dressed. You know, you can see he looks like he's just got like a towel around his waist. You know, it's one of the distinguishing features is how little he's wearing. This is not just what slaves would wear at this time, but this was what the lowest slaves would wear. So little. And then as Jesus strips down, as the passage tells us, he got up from supper, laid aside his outer clothing, took a towel and tied it around himself. Can we get that next slide? We see more and more, like the lowest of slaves, Jesus is doing what only the lowliest of servants would do. The teacher, the master to these disciples, surely he couldn't wash their feet. Because even friends wouldn't wash each other's feet since it was considered too lowly of a task. When's the last time that you washed your friend's foot or your own foot? Jesus' love is to the end. It's humility. It's love symbolic of salvation cleansing. And it remains for us a constant model of what our Christian love should look like. The one who exists in the form of God emptied himself, assuming the form of a servant, and this is the love of our Savior, Jesus Christ. You see it on screen right there. He spends this final night abasing himself, doing something his own disciples would never do. And what's more, as the Son of God, he comes in bodily form as a human being. Like this is, we, we can't even imagine this, because we can't do this ourselves. But he comes as his own creation, in our own flesh. He goes to the cross in obedience, and he dies there for our sins. And then at the moment of his greatest weakness, in his greatest service to us, earthly sinners, this is also the greatest revelation of his identity as the Son of God. Now surely, we as his followers, we should live in this way too. In our weakness, we should be the ones displaying his strength instead of our own pride, 
our own gifts, whatever it might be. Revealing Christ to the world in our brokenness, made whole by him. Look with me at the way that this uh, artist, Ford Maddox Brown, he captured the scene in his painting. There's a range of emotions that you can see. If you've ever observed art before, if you've ever really engaged with it, I'm not really an expert in this either, so I'm sure that those that have done art, they're going to be saying something different, and so you can hear from them uh, instead. But the range of emotions that you see, you can see the one that he's washing there, that's Peter. Peter still looks uncomfortable with this whole situation as his feet are being washed by Jesus. Look at him. His lips are pursed. He's looking down. like He's not even looking at Jesus, but he's kind of looking down. Like, I can't believe this is happening. Behind Peter is John, you know, to his, uh, to our right. He's the beloved one whose account that we're reading in this passage. He seems simultaneously taken aback by everything that he's seeing, but completely drawn to what Jesus is doing. It's a scandal fact for all of them. Everyone that's gathered here right now is scandalous. It's horrifying for them. This is their teacher. This is their master, their Lord. This is the one that they've seen cast out demons, multiply food enough to feed thousands, raise the dead. And here he is. How can he be the one on his knees washing their dirty feet? Look at where Jesus is placed in the painting. You know, I had to cut off a little bit of the painting to make it you know, fit this widescreen thing. Um, the lowest part of this painting is where Jesus is residing in comparison to everyone else in the painting. Despite being God, and we can see from the light shining around his head, he is God. But his humility is being represented by his lowly position in this painting. He is in utter concentration for the task at hand as well. Look at his face. He's not disgusted by the dirtiness of Peter's feet. He's not angry at their ignorance, their inability to grasp what's really going on here. And this is the same for us. This is his disposition towards us. He's fully, undividedly focusing on serving him, on serving all of them, one by one, every single one of them. And this is love. My favorite's the guy in the back. He's got his head in his hands. You know, I saw some of you guys doing that as well. Like he's in anguish from witnessing this act. He's in pain as he watches. This is like a drama, you know. Uh, recently, while I'm leaving Korea, and if you're very sensitive to these things, I'm sorry, but uh, Jonas and I got gastro, and we got a little bit sick. It made us, uh, it made me think about, like, do you ever... I don't know, do you ever get gastro and then you think about the last time you had gastro? Like, when was the last time this happened? And you start thinking back, you start thinking through all the foods that you ate over the years, and you think, what's the common factor? For me, this was in Korea. Again, it's always Korea. For some, Korea and I don't match for whatever reason, okay? This was when I lived with my grandma. It was eight years ago. And so it's a long time back now. My grandma's the sweetest person. You know, she's always thinking about other people. She's always <laughs> showing Bora and me that she's 
kept all of the stuff from when I was a little baby. You know, these things are like nearly 40 years old. There's like a little lunch thing that looks horrible now. You know, it's, I don't know why she's still keeping it. There's like paintings that I did that don't look like anything, you know, but she's kept them all. And here's me as a grown adult. This is eight years ago. Gastro completely wiped me out, and I couldn't even clean up after myself, if you know what I'm saying. Okay, just try to imagine this, okay? And I, don't try to imagine this. But I can't begin to describe how sad and pathetic I felt seeing my grandma, I'm helpless, like, seeing my grandma, who I love and respect, cleaning up after me. And she's not holding her nose, she's not like, grimacing and just cursing my name. She's just lovingly cleaning up after me. But my grandma's not God. She's fallible like all of us. You know, she's made mistakes in her life. She does lose patience, not with me for whatever reason, but with everyone else. All my cousins feel like it's kind of unfair. But here's Jesus. He's never impatient. He's far greater and higher than anyone you can try to compare him to in your life, no matter how lovely they are. And he loves to the end. What does it mean that he loves to the end? I don't think this is a phrase that you really hear. You know, no one says, I'm going to love, well, maybe they do say, I'm going to love you to the end. But does it mean that he loves to the end of his life on earth? like we might mean when we say it to a romantic partner or whoever it might be. Because he certainly does do this. His, the peak of his love is on display on the cross as he dies for us. We see this. We talk about this each week, right? Does it mean to the end of our lives? Because he does this too. No matter where we go, what we do, how far we go from him, his love remains constant. Like one of those songs was saying, he's covered over all of our sins. All of them. Like you sin tomorrow, he's covered it. And he's always waiting for us to welcome us back into his open arms. This leave time in Korea, um, it afforded for my family, Bora, Jonas, and me, a lot of time to rest, to spend time with the rest of our family as well, uh, with each other. It really gave me time to just love my family. You know, I think like unless you're actually spending time together in the same place and you're actually engaging with them, it's hard to like truly love, I think. You know, if you're far away from each other, it's, it's a form of love, but it doesn't, for me, it doesn't feel like genuine, I guess. I was really confident going into my relationship with Bora. This is early days, you know, before we were engaged, before like when we were just dating, I was really confident going into my relationship with her that I was going to be a fantastic husband and father. And this is, you know, this is really revealing about my character. And so don't judge me for this, but I was so excited to love Bora. How lucky she is. Oh my gosh. She's going to receive so much love. You know, I knew it'd be an incredible love. I read so much poetry. I thought it would be so easy. I thought about romance all the time. And I also love Jesus, you know, put that in there as well. This, it's probably telling that this was last on my list of why she was so lucky. 
But whenever I go through premarital counseling these days with you know, different couples, I'm reminded of how far I fall short. Because I'm giving advice, I'm giving wisdom, we're reading scripture together, and oftentimes, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, oh yeah, this is what I should be doing. This is the way that I should be loving. How much I've forgotten, and it brings me back. Now, you know, a lot of us experience marriage or relationships in this way. Like, we talk about things like, you know, how many years pass until you have to really rekindle things or whatever it might be. I love Jonas. He's a year and like eight months. You know, he's not that old. He's very young. What has he done to betray me or like anything, right? And it's even easier to love him these days because, you know, he's in this really cute stage of life just before he turns two. That's why I hear that it kind of, you know, people's love dwindles for whatever reason. He's constantly doing cute things, wanting me to play with him. You know, like, he tries to pull me by the hand and he's like laughing and, you know, often in these times, I find myself reminding myself I should put my phone away. Like, this is, the, this is one of the biggest struggles I have. Like, I got my phone in my hand. I might be videoing the moment. And so, like, imagine from his little point of view, he's looking up at me. I'm, a, I'm like a giant to him. And I've just got this thing in his face. And he knows what this thing is because he's seen the screen before. He's seen his own picture. And he's, like, pushing it away. That's, you know, at, at the better of times. But at other times, I'm doing other stuff. I might be answering some of you guys. If you're asking me questions, I'm like, oh, I gotta, I gotta, get, back to, I gotta get back to Daniel on this. And I'm like, hold on, Jonas. And he's like, who's Daniel? He doesn't care. Like, I'm, I'm doing these things. I'm getting reminded. Don't be distracted. Just be present in my love for him. And there's a lot of good times in my life and in these examples that I share with you that I, you know, really give love where I really feel like the example is like Christ's love is really shining through. Like, I'm like patting myself on the back as I'm sharing this. I'm like, oh, what a good image. What a good example to live up to. And then there are the really, really not good times that are worse than these things, are much worse than these things that I, I don't dare share in front of 200 people that's going live to YouTube or whatever it might be. And I share with other people and like, they're horrified. They're like, oh, you're a pastor. It'd be impossible for anyone to take any discreet story from my life though, or from your life, and to make a really complete picture of our character. You can't just take the little stories that I tell and figure out who I really am. I can't do that either. From the Sunday times that we spend together, you tell me a little snippet of your life, I might forget by the next week, I don't know, hopefully not, but even if I don't, does that tell me everything that I need to know about you? Does that tell everything that God knows about you? We can't really get a complete picture of our character, our personality, or our love through these little stories. But with Jesus, you can. This is an amazing thing. Like, we read a little discreet story about Jesus, 
We see his love, and it tells kind of the whole picture. This act of love, where he strips down to the form of a slave, humbly washing the feet of his disciples and his betrayer, he's completely present and pure in his love, and this love is to the end. He's never inconsistent, because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, we read. And so we know that this same heart that washed the feet of sinners on earth intercedes for us in heaven. It's praying for us in heaven. He's making a stand for us in heaven. He's talking about us. He's excited for us. He welcomes us. He's warm in his face towards us. He never looks away from us. He's never distracted. He's just as present, affectionate, and loving towards you now. So let's turn to him in prayer. Let's approach the throne of grace together. How about I pray? Father, as I pray on behalf of the people here at New Life, of your beloved ones, your beloved children, my beloved brothers and sisters, we only have this approach towards you because of your son Jesus. And so we walk the same path that he walked. We walk in his footsteps to come near to you. Not only do we walk the same path, but we're covered by him completely. We're drenched, we're soaked, we're covered over by his love to the point that you can look upon us and not see the sin that you hate so much but the son that you hold so dear. Your love is for us. Your love is for us because of your son, Jesus, who's there by your side even now, making a case for us. Let him now remind us that this love that we read about here is the same love that's there for us now. Let his warmth now warm our hearts. Let it now remind us that your love for us is great, is greater than our sin, is greater than our hatred, greater than our ignorance or our lack of care, our apathy, whatever it might be that we characterize ourselves by. we want to love you and we know this is only possible through receiving your love so we ask Lord pour out your love your spirit your guidance upon us once again help us to love you 
Help us to receive your love and to share it. Be with us now, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.